Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And it is Thursday night tide here on the YouTube home for BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer alongside fellow staffer Clint Lamb. And Clint, here we go, ready or not on the heels of Nick Saban's final media appearance. I guess you could call it a media appearance. Although that radio call-in show, sometimes we get more stuff there than we get out of formal press conference settings. Or uh, Now we've got him on the Pat McAfee show, though. Nick Saban's everywhere, right? Yeah, I feel like he's a, a little bit more relaxed in these type of settings. I guess he's not as quick to scream at fans and stuff, asking questions as compared to us. Um, when's the last time, Travis, that it's been, what, September 21st? And Alabama's looking at, you know, kind of their backs against the wall. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's a different feel this year, for sure. Yeah, it is. It, it almost, uh, it has the feel, I guess, of the, I guess, eight-year anniversary of the last time it was really in this situation. Ole Miss was the team that put Alabama in that sort of position. And as we know, after that loss to Ole Miss, similar to the Texas loss for Alabama, uh, you had a game against a, a non-conference team, a group of five opponent in 2015 in ULM to kind of get the get the boat steadied a little bit. And then it was on to Georgia in that road game. And that team in 2015 was hearing a lot of the same noise and naysayers and doubters. And then – go into Athens and take care of business. I, I didn't, I didn't really see that coming in 2015. I don't really see Alabama doing that to Ole Miss coming up on Saturday. I don't know about you. No, I don't. Um, I, Alabama still got to prove some things to me. You know, I've, I've kind of made all these assumptions. Uh, they've been in some big games the last couple of years and you just, I mean, we've talked about it before you, you assume certain principles that have, you, you've always been able to apply and it just, there's been too many occasions where they've fallen short and, and made me look bad when I've predicted, hey, I think <laughs> they're going to hammer this team or or whatever. And what you do is, is when you predict that and then you're wrong, then everybody wants to blame you for the rat poison. So right. what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the opposite here, and I'm going to say that it's going to be a close game, and they're going to have to show me some things before I th start throwing out any unwarranted rat poison. Yeah, I think talk season's over. It's walk season for this team. And uh, I, I, I got to think they've heard all of this. So that could be a good thing. By the way, we do appreciate the uh, online viewers checking in. We're linked up, obviously, with YouTube. We've got a link on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. So hopefully you're checking us out there. There's Tex Titer. I see him. Howdy, boys, he says here in the comments. Jonathan McMillan also checking in as well. Thanks for tuning in, uh, gang. And if you got any questions, any comments you would like to make throughout the next hour or so, we will certainly do our best to get to them. By the way, coming up at about 25 after, there's Coderan checking in now, uh, Jimmy Stein's going to join us. We're going to go three for three live for about 10 minutes with the three of us, and then it'll be Jimmy and myself 
over the uh, remaining 25 minutes of tonight's program. So a lot to get into. Uh, obviously, Ole Miss is going to be the central focus of what we talk about, but maybe we'll get into some other SEC action as well. You got Thursday night football right now. I've got, uh, I've actually got the high school game on. I've got the the Miami area schools because Central um, is in Chaminade down in South Florida, two of the Titans down there. It's always a good matchup. I know there is the Giants and the 49ers out in Santa Clara. I have a hard time watching games in Santa Clara anymore, Clint, after that Alabama-Clemson game out there uh, to cap the 2018 season. Not even so much because of how that game played out, but because it was such a dreadful host site for a college football playoff national championship game. I feel safe in saying that the game will never be there again. Um, Just uh, it wasn't a great experience. Well, the wine tour was great. We actually, the wife and I did a wine tour that was a lot of fun. I'm reaching for things, but the weather wasn't great. (laughs) And obviously for Alabama fans, uh, the game didn't go as a lot of folks would have hoped. But, you know, when we talk about this matchup on Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium, Clint, it starts with the Alabama offense, I think, for most folks, really both these offenses. I think Ole Miss, from a psyche perspective, even with some injuries that the Rebels are dealing with right now, it's a 180 from where Alabama's at. And as typically the case, it starts behind center because Ole Miss feels very good about Jackson Dart, as it should. This is a guy averaging 12.5 yards per pass attempt right now. He's rushed for over 200 yards in three games, coming off a monster performance uh, against Georgia Tech last week. And then you look over at Alabama, and I know Nick is continuing to try to explain this quarterback situation that unfolded down in Tampa. We've heard him talk to Chris Lowe of ESPN that this was sort of the plan all along. Well, if it was, maybe Jalen Milrow wasn't tuned in because it doesn't sound like Jalen responded all that well to it. But regardless, this is where we're at. Jalen Milrow back behind center. What is your confidence level in this offense going into Saturday's game? Well, one thing that I do think that fans can feel confident in, there's no way that Nick Saban and Alabama have fully committed to Jalen Milrow, and they are not planning to build the offense around him. I mean, so what you saw against MTSU, what you saw against Texas – there will still be some of those elements, you know, max protection, deep shots. I mean, that's something that Jalen Milrow does extremely well. But you got to have some design quarterback runs. You got to have, you know, utilize the RPOs more, the, you know, screens, uh, play action, quick passing game. Get, get him on the move, you know, get him doing what he does, you know, what he's comfortable doing and put strain on Ole Miss's defense by utilizing his legs. And just by doing that, and you get Tyler Booker back this week. I understand that he played in the first two games, and and the offensive line performance was not great in either one of those two games either. But as far as people saying, well, you know, uh, USF's uh, defensive front kind of destroyed Alabama's offensive line too. Well, you know, you, you still got a developing left tackle that you're trying to get on the right track. You, you're missing your best offensive lineman. I know a lot of people would make the argument for J.C. Latham. I personally, I've, I've said that I thought that it was going to be Tyler Booker, and I stand by that. And so you had him playing next to Proctor, and with him being out, you are you got another guy getting his first career start in Terrence Ferguson, an experienced guy as far as years in the system, but he just he didn't have much playing time experience. And so, you know, it was a combination for an ugly Saturday. Uh, obviously, the weather didn't help. There were a lot of factors, but – I think as far as Jalen Milrow is concerned, 
you have to feel confident that just utilizing or, or implementing a game plan that better fits him should make the offense function a lot better. How much better are you going to avoid the, the the mistakes that you saw from him in the the first couple of games where maybe he's missing some things pre-snap and doesn't have Alabama in the right play or, or maybe turns the football over like he shouldn't? I mean, you might see some of that still. In fact, I would probably expect it. Uh, this is a, an ongoing process as far as growth and development, but I think just putting him more in his own element and making him more comfortable will also make him more confident. Yeah, that's where it's got to start, really. And give Jalen credit, as we talked about, with this thing coming back around to him. One thing you didn't see against USF was the explosive play capability, especially in the passing game. And if you go back even to the 8A game, there were some throws that Jalen made in that scrimmage that went off of his receivers that were on them. The drops, as we recall, back in the spring game, a big issue for Alabama. Not so much through three games. Let's give those guys a lot of credit. They've been consistent in their catch performance. So, yeah, I agree. I think, and we've talked about this really since the start of the season, the biggest surprise to me is that I don't think we've seen as much of Tommy Reese's Notre Dame offense as I fully expected to see Really, maybe not from the outset, because I get it. Middle Tennessee, you're not going to roll it all out there. But, man, going into Texas, I'm thinking at least eight to ten design runs for Jalen in that game, and there really weren't. Uh, he had a number of carries. He got into the double digits. Well, five of those were sacks. You know, he was pressured a good bit. Uh, some of that was of his own doing, I think, at times. I think once he got the early pressure, he started seeing some ghosts at times, holding on to the football. Um, so as much as anything, again, the psyche of this offense, the psyche of Jalen Milrow sounds like he's in a good place. Um, we'll see coming up Saturday afternoon at two 30 central at Bryant Denny stadium. So let's talk about some positives with this Alabama offense. I think I just touched on them with the wide receivers. Um, talk with Charlie Potter on true or false about this yesterday. I know you and Jimmy have had discussions about this offense extensively as well. Um, which one of these guys, if you had to pick one of these guys right now that you had to go to in a big spot, who would be your pick with that designation? At wide receiver? Yeah. Oh, um, there's so many. But right now, are you talking about this particular matchup or just on a week-in, week-out basis? One I, play. One play and Alabama's got to have it right now. Mm, Who's the guy I, that's going to get open? Who's the guy that's going to make the catch? Who's the guy that can – also give you some explosive playability maybe after the catch. Well, I think that probably when you're talking about that, I, I'm the problem with Isaiah Bond, that would have been my choice. And I think he's in for, you know, potentially a pretty big game uh, on Saturday, but he would have been my choice. But as far as the, the inconsistency with the hands a little bit, if you're, if you're wanting more reliability, I understand that Jermaine Burton's had, uh, you know, some drops as well here and there, but I think from a reliable hand standpoint, I'd probably lean a little bit more towards Jermaine Burton. He's playing great football. You know, it was it was so interesting because in the offseason, well, first of all, starting in the Ole Miss game last year, I think he went five for 50 with a touchdown, really started to come on strong in the Ole Miss game. That was on the road. It was a tough environment. Uh, and, you know, you end up, you know, squeaking out a win there. But then he kind of started to go on a roll a little bit, and he started getting more comfortable. And then when it hit the offseason, I mean, Nick Saban talked about in the spring he needed to be more consistent. You saw him working with the second-team offense throughout the um, 
uh, on a day, you saw him not working out with the receivers down in Tampa over the summer and, and with Jalen Milrow. And so you start thinking, I mean, this guy's kind of fallen out of favor. And instead, he's, you know, I would say the argument is probably for either him or Isaiah Bond from a target standpoint is Bond. But I would say just, you know, the explosive plays downfield, much better vertical threat than people give him credit for. And I think he's proved that by now. But also just being able to get up and underneath and, and kind of becoming more of a leader in that wide receiver room. He's doing it the right way. He's taking the right approach. And so if I had to pick anybody right now, it would probably be Jermaine Burton. Yeah, reasonable selection. A guy who lost a couple of big grabs against Texas uh, because of penalties. Uh, when you think about what he's done and what could still be on that resume, if not for those situations, you know what's amazing? Neither one of us, I think, our first thought included Ja'Cory Brooks. Think about that. Three games into this season, and Ja'Cory Brooks isn't a top two or three guy that we're mentioning. I that stuns me because I totally expected that expected him to be my choice. Uh, I am with you on Burton. I, I like, I like Isaiah bond a lot. I'll tell you why, because I think he started to, and I know you do this with the snap counts and the, um, the, the personnel groupings and the, and all the great stuff you do in that. Um, he's really started to shed that slot label. As you know, this is a guy now that they're comfortable, similar to the transformation or not really a transformation because Jalen Waddle was always capable. But the development of Jalen Waddle went from more of slot to really playing him just about anywhere. And it feels like Isaiah Bond uh, is on that same track. Yeah, really explosive guy. Uh, can create yardage after the catch, has the vertical ability that you look for at the position. Uh, you know, like I said, it sometimes has inconsistent hands. It hadn't really shown up up to this point in the season, though, which is good. I mean, I'm not – there's been some off-target throws. He hadn't brought in every target that he's been given, but uh, he's an explosive playmaker. And, you know, you were absolutely right. He's gone from kind of being, you know, more of a, a slot option to where you can play him inside and out and move him around, and that's great if you're wanting to try to figure out ways to, uh, you know, give him some mismatch uh, opportunities where he can – you know, design some touches for him and allow him to make plays, whether it be, I would love for them to do more as far as the short to intermediate stuff and putting the football in his hands and allowing him to create yardage after the catch. But he's got that vertical ability, so you know he kind of fits in there with Jalen Milrow and, and his vertical passing ability. And, you know, he's more of a complete receiver than a lot of people realize. And so I think, you know, when you talk about him, you talk about Burton, uh, two pretty balanced guys. And it's just a matter of, and there are a bunch of other guys. It was so wild because all throughout the offseason, I felt like I just went through waves. You know, it actually started. It's funny because right after the season, I thought Burton would finish strong. He was a guy that I was, you know, saying, hey, if Alabama can get him back, I think he's in to be a big part of the offense. And then Isaiah Bond was my big breakout candidate. And then, you know, you start talking about Malik Benson and Kendrick Law, you know, uh, Kobe Prentice. There was just so many different opportunities. Corey Brooks was a guy we heard some positive things about throughout the spring. And so it, I just feel like I went through waves as far as this is going to be the top couple of guys or, okay, this is going to be the top couple of guys. And what I will say is that Burton was not on that radar. And, and Isaiah Bond, while I thought that he had some of the uh, – him and Malik Benson, in my opinion, had the highest upside of any of the receivers on the roster, I wasn't sure exactly where he'd fit into the pecking order, but he has certainly taken a big step. And I just hope that Alabama's passing game, the quarterbacks, the offensive line, can all come together enough to really utilize what I think is a very good wide receiver room. Yeah, and 
Bond being able to take that next step from a positional perspective, that allows you to play him with Kobe Prentice. It used to be a year ago, it was either or pretty much with those two guys. This first year, guys, totally understandable. You're trying to learn a spot. Going in that second year, you find out, can guys learn two, three spots? And if they can, it's not just good for them. It's good for that position as a whole because then you can do different things with different guys from different personnel groupings. And I think we're starting to see more of that. And you talk about Kendrick Law and coming back from his illness last week. Uh, Emmanuel Henderson's a guy that I think had a chance before his injury uh, it's pretty much sidelined him to this point of this season. By the way, Tex Titer getting on Jimmy Stein. Tex, we told Jimmy 825. He's going to be here in about nine minutes, we promise. Jimmy Stein, uh, you know, this guy, he's an attorney. That's his background. They they don't miss out on time, okay? They, don't, they, <laughs> they, they, they get that right, okay? Or at least uh, they try to. Bama Bob checking in as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, Bama Bob, here on the program. Yeah, so you, we talk about these wide receivers, though, Clint, and we know how the second half went down in Tampa. A lot of 12 personnel. Oh, yeah. A lot of two tight ends on the field. That was with Ty Simpson in the offense. You like the explosive pass plays that Jalen gave you against Texas. They were overshadowed by the two big mistakes. I understand that. But a lot of 11, a lot more 11 personnel, it felt like, with Jalen in there than we saw last week. So what do you think this week? Do you ride that horse from the second half in Tampa, even with Jalen back in there? Now, if you do go two tight ends more, Jalen as a runner in that offense is a, is a pretty interesting thing to consider. Um, but again, he had some success with explosive plays. Not, not all of it out of 11, uh, but a good bit. And so what are you anticipating from, from that perspective for this offense on Saturday? Well, I think, I think you will see some 12 personnel. And the reason being is, is you have to establish the run. You have to have success, more success on early downs. Put yourself in favorable positions. If you're constantly getting behind the sticks, that is not the, 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 the game plan or the game style that you want to play with this offensive line. You don't want to have, you know, straight drop back passes. You don't want to go got, empty? At, you don't oh, want to go yeah, empty with this group right now? No, at, I will say, reads. going back and watching this offensive line, I don't know what the problem is. It's it's one of the most shocking things that I can ever remember seeing when it came to any Alabama team. And, you know, you hope that it's going to get worked out. And, and I do expect it to be much better in game five, six, seven, compared to mm -hmm. weeks one, two, three. Uh, but at the same time, just the starting point is nowhere close to where I thought it would be. I mean, it's been, you know, it, it's not just Proctor. I mean, there are some other guys that are getting blown up, you know, center, right guard. Saban it seems has more upset with the pocket getting pushed because I think he anticipated with the guys they were bringing back. There aren't any true freshmen guard to guard, right? Absolutely I, not. I, I, do you get the sense that has maybe surprised him more than, than the issues with the left tackle that's a true freshman? absolutely i mean because that's the one thing you thought that you would be able to if you can get tackles that can just push guys past the pocket and allow the quarterback to to step up and make throws i mean and that's what i, I think alabama nick saban tommy reese all of them originally anticipated for this offense and it's why i think you've seen some of these games be called the way they have they wanted a quarterback that could stand back there in the pocket and, and make reads and make throws and stuff 
Obviously, the quarterbacks aren't taking the steps that they need to to be able to do that effectively. But on top of that, you don't have an offensive line that's giving them the ability or even have a chance. And so that's been a major issue. And just, I mean, Seth McLaughlin, multi-year starter. Darian Dalcourt, understand it's a new position, but multi-year starter. Tyler Booker, supposed to be the best offensive lineman or one of the two best offensive linemen at, at the very least on your entire uh, roster and potentially in the SEC in the country. And, you know, the yet, I mean, quarterbacks don't have anywhere to step and, and fans and some of it is the quarterback. You've got to be able to fill that out and understand that it's not there. But you saw Milrow against Texas step up into some sacks and it makes, you know, the offensive line look bad. But then you look and you say, well, Milrow's stepping into that. But it's just it the whole reason they stepping up into it is because the pocket's collapsing. So, I mean, it, it's a big problem right now, Travis, and I will be curious to see how much improvement can actually be made. I do think they're going to do some things to help out Proctor, I would assume. Uh, and I think that just calling, you know, more play. I mean, I will say, if you've got a struggling offensive line and you've got a struggling quarterback, screens, uh, RPOs, quick passes, um, you know, there, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Design quarterback runs, all these different elements that Alabama should be implementing in their offense to help out these areas. They haven't been doing up to this point. That's concerning in, in in one sense, but at the same time, it's also encouraging because if they can just fix what should be a fairly simple problem, it should help everybody. thing I wonder about with Jalen sometimes, Clint, is does, does he get the ball out quick enough in the quick game or off RPOs? Uh, we got so used to seeing – Bryce Young looked like he was starting double plays from shortstop with his ability to just get the ball to the perimeter and off RPO. And even Mac became a, a really proficient distributor in that way. Obviously, Tua could do it wizard-like. Um, so we've kind of been like everything else. We've been spoiled in a lot of ways by quarterback play in general. Uh, which leads us back to the run game and more of what this team is going to have to be about, things that we felt like were pretty much common knowledge even going into the season. Um, but the running back position, I mean, Roy Dell was so good down the stretch and in the fourth quarter, especially at USF, it really looked like for one of the few times this season, he and that offensive line got into a rhythm and they took care of business. Again, we understand it's USF, inferior opponent. So what's your expectation for that situation on Saturday? Jace McClellan. Jace was very important a year ago in Oxford uh, with Jameer Gibbs out and uh, what he was able to do there, especially in the second half of that game. Uh, what about from a carry load perspective for Saturday? Did We've heard Nick say it before. He'll go with a hot hand at running back. If he doesn't have a Derrick Henry a definitive guy, he'll ride a hot hand. So I'm left to wonder if if it's Roy Dell pretty quickly on Saturday. Well, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but I'll reiterate it here. I, I, I don't think necessarily that Roy Dell or Jace have the, the big-time home run hitting ability. I mean, they're certainly not going to be Jameer Gibbs on that front. But I don't necessarily think that's what Nick Saban and this coaching staff is looking for. They want to be if, – if, if it's third and one or fourth and one – they want a guaranteed first down. Uh, that's that's kind of where this starts. When it's first down, they want to be able to play in favorable conditions. They want to be able to pick up four or five yards on first down, make it second and five or six, and continue to work things that way. And when you look at this running back group, I'll say a couple things. Um, 
from a talent standpoint, there might be more talented players in this Alabama backfield or in this Alabama running back room uh, than Jason Roydale. But those guys run hard, and they're really good players, and they're going to crank out yardage, you know, uh, after contact, and that's something that you know can't be overstated. I think all the running backs right now are really struggling in pass protection. That's a completely separate issue. Uh, but when it comes to running the football, you know, Alabama can trust the two guys sitting at the top of the depth chart to be able to do that if they're given room, any sort of room to run. And even when they aren't, they're still going to be able to crank out some yardage. But I do, I, I would like to see Jam Miller and Justice Haynes get involved. And I think, you know, Nick Saban talked about, hey, as the season goes on, now that we're getting into SEC play, I think you're going to see a little bit more of them. And, you know, I could certainly see, see it playing out that way because these guys are too talented and they've been trying to figure out so much else. It, what, when you're trying to figure out your offensive line, you're trying to figure out your quarterbacks, there's so much else that's up in the air. You, you might tend to just lean on the guys that you are more experienced, that you know you know exactly what you're getting out of those two starting running backs. If you can start to figure out the, the, the offensive line and quarterback and they start getting more comfortable and confident, you could probably work in some more guys and see some success, and, and then you've got a stable of running backs that you can lean on. Yeah, usually you think about young backs, and one of the biggest concerns you have initially is pass pro. But I think Justice Haynes is advanced, extremely yes. advanced in that regard, even going back again to the, the 8 day game. I thought of the backs we saw in that scrimmage. He was top two at least, if not the best pass protector of the group. So I don't worry about that with Justice Haynes uh, if, we're, if we do see more of him. Um, did a nice job on that punt return team in Tampa and helping to sniff out that USF fake, but could be that there's more on the way for Justice Haynes in the not-too-distant future. Again, though, Roydell, it just felt like this approach was going to fit him well of these backs. More of a one-cut, get-downhill, more direct runs, um, and he showed that uh, in the second half at USF. Speaking of Jimmy Stein, by the way, Let's bring Jimmy hey. up. There he is. Hey. Jimmy, they, they've been text tighter was uh he was giving you a little little grief on here. He said, Well, you fashionably late and you you are fashionable. So that absolutely first, makes sense. First time I've been called that. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I always knew you were an LA Lakers fan. There he is, text tighter. He's welcoming you here. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Yeah, enjoy you know, the conversation, for, guys. Well, we're we're glad to have you uh, on this debut edition of Thursday Night Tide. Uh, you know, Clint, Jimmy, and I we're a little bit advanced in age, so this is you know, this is bordering on late night for for me and Jimmy. I don't. So, I, uh, I have a fiance that goes to bed around, or I guess around eight o'clock because she wakes up at like five, and so I've kind of gotten more on that schedule. And I'm not gonna lie, fellas. I used to be a late night guy. I loved working into the, you know, the one and two o'clock hours, sleeping in a little bit. I never could sleep past, you know, about seven, maybe seven thirty. But uh since I've been getting on this eight o'clock schedule, I, I feel I feel good. I feel ten years younger. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does help to sleep. I, I wish I could get more uh in tune with yeah. that concept. It seems like the older I've gotten, and especially as we accumulated children amazingly uh sleep became more and more of an elusive sort of exercise but um well i'll tell you what the the jimmy fan club is has shown up i mean kenny always good to see I'm, I'm the president There's by the dead. way yeah i mean i mean 
guys, do you take Venmo? I mean, I, the, 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 <laughs> I do. The, yeah, I, Jimmy does, but you know, I, know I do. Your fans have shown up in force, Jimmy. It's good to see those folks. Um, hey, so thanks, mom. Yeah, exactly, Jimmy. We were talking <laughs> earlier more about the Alabama offense. So, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts. I know you've mm-hmm. talked about it with Clint throughout the week, but um, the mind space of this Alabama offense going into Saturday and how you typically would look at Ole Miss, especially defensively, and say, well, this is a get right opportunity. Uh, but lo and behold, Pete Golding's got that group playing pretty well. Uh, not going to say that they've kind of seen Joe Montana's 49ers or Dan Marino's Dolphins or Tom Brady's Patriots in the first three games, um, but improved, I think we could agree nonetheless. So for the Alabama offense, where does it start for you on Saturday? I think, you know, this is game one to me. I, I know that's not uh, that's that's not really a chronologically correct (laughs) but this feels like game one to me uh they started out with the idea that Jalen Milrow won the job in the spring and the fall and practice and uh but he had only won the middle Tennessee starting job and then in the middle Tennessee game he won the Texas starting job uh now it feels like Jalen Milrow has won the job period and in my mind this is week one in terms of Hey, let's build it around Jalen. He's going to be the guy. I think, I think it's on Coach Reese and, and Nick Saban to some extent to start building it around the guy they know is going to be the guy. I don't think we knew that until now, or we didn't know it for sure until now. So really, in terms of attacking Ole Miss this weekend, in terms of attacking the rest of the schedule, to me this is about what are we going to do to make Jalen Milrow as successful as he can be? And what are we going to do to minimize maybe things he doesn't do too well? I'm not sure that's what the focus was in week one. and uh, But I do feel like that's the focus now going forward. And I do think for all the preparation that Pete Golding and the defense has done at Ole Miss, I think they might see a slightly different, not a radically different, but a slightly different looking Alabama offense that will be to Alabama's advantage on Saturday. Yeah, it could be. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, when you look at this game, this should be another one of those roster games, right? I mean, you look at the rosters, and I know Lane has had some fun with it this week and talking and pointing out all the Alabama five stars and then looking at Ole Miss uh, with, I guess, one on the entire roster. Uh, but boy Lane has been very active in the transfer portal, which sort of leads right. you back to um, do you get the sense that maybe and, and Alabama's been active, but not to the extent of seven or eight critical pieces on the offensive side of the ball like Ole Miss has for Saturday's game. Um, is, is this more of an approach that you guys and Clint, I'll start with you, see Nick Saban moving towards? I know. It's tough because when you're recruiting at such a high level and you're continuing to harvest five stars, uh, you don't really, you shouldn't have the need, but player development is more and more difficult to execute with players not giving you three years like they once used to or really had to. Used to be you had to give a program three years because you needed three years to graduate to move on as a grad transfer. Now with the one-time rule, you can go after you know, 60 days or something. So what about it, Clint? We'll start with you. Um, 
Lane and in, in the transfer portal, he he sort of does it, I think, by necessity. Um, how do you think that approach will continue to evolve maybe for Nick Saban in Alabama? Uh, you know, it, I, I do think that some teams are still trying to fill, you know, programs are still trying to fill out the transfer portal. It's a new avenue of, uh, you know, adding talent to the roster. And I do think that, you know, Lane Kiffin has done a really good job of adding the right pieces there at Ole Miss. I mean, they're about to have their tight end back, or we, at least we think they're going to get their tight end back. They, you know, Trey Harris has been a big time explosive receiver. I mean, I think that, um, you know, he's only played in what one and a half games, two games maybe, and yeah. he's got like five touchdowns. I mean, he's uh, what is it like? I want to say like eight or nine catches and five scores. I mean, that's some Henry Ruggs twenty seventeen level touchdown to catch ratio there, but. It's not just those guys. I mean, you got uh, um, Zachary Franklin, who we still haven't seen yet, the transfer from UTEP. I'll be curious to see if he's able to play this weekend. And that's kind of the wild part about this Ole Miss offense is the fact that you've seen it be super explosive. You've seen that there are options within this offense, but there are three different guys who either haven't played every game or haven't even been seen in an Ole Miss uniform yet. And so, you know, who knows what could be coming to Tuscaloosa this weekend. I mean, I think that this, you know, offensively is where everything starts for, for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Defensively, they've certainly added some important transfer pieces. I mean, Stephon Wynn, the former Alabama defensive lineman, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I was looking over their depth chart, looked at it last week, and they had a different guy starting at nose. Looked this week, and I saw Stephon Wynn's name sitting at the top for nose tackle. So it looks like that Al, or, uh, Stephon Wynn's going to be playing against his former team it is certainly a, a different way it can it can take programs that are trying to get competitive and make them competitive a lot faster I still think there's a huge emphasis and importance to Nick Saban in Alabama as far as recruiting the high school talent and developing that I don't think you're ever going to see him take the approach of like Elaine Kiffin or you know even a, a Lincoln Riley at USC with some of his transfer portal additions but I will say I mean you can fill holes with important players and, uh, you know, Alabama's kind of been able to do that from a depth standpoint, at least this year with, you know, Jalen Keyes starting, but you also got Trey Amos, who's been a very valuable member out there on the perimeter. Uh, you've seen it certainly in the past with Jamison Williams and Henry Toe Toe and, and a lot of other guys. I mean, it certainly is a, a different avenue of creating a talent or, or adding talent to your roster. I'll do respect, Jimmy, to Malik Benson. And I'm a JUCO advocate, trust me. I had a, a daughter who was able to navigate the junior college ranks to get to where she wanted to go in athletics. But I don't, I don't know how you even recruit JUCOs now with the transfer right. portal being what it is. Malik Benson is a fabulous talent. Malik Benson may prove to be a 1,000-yard receiver before his time at Alabama is done. But when you see guys like Trey Harris coming from places like Louisiana Tech – and then blowing it up immediately at Ole Miss, it, it, it makes you wonder how tough it's going to be for the Malik Bensons. It's already tough, but even more tough for for those guys. Great players at the junior college level to be able to to push their way not just into Division One football, but to places like Alabama. Well, the evaluation's easier, right? When you're watching other college football games against four-year college football talent. When you're watching SEC players play other SEC players, the evaluation is just so much easier than it is watching a JUCO guy or even watching a high school guy. And, uh, you know, I'll compliment Lane Kiffin here before I take a shot at him. I'll do both. 
Uh, but the compliment to Lane is I, I think he's navigated the portal extremely well, maybe as well as anyone. Uh, just look at quarterback, the most important position on the field. Jackson Dart, he played as a true freshman at Southern Cal. Now he's a starting quarterback at Ole Miss and really good. I, I, I don't think we talk about him enough. Jackson Dart's fantastic. And then his backup quarterback, Spencer Sanders, a quality starting quarterback in the Big 12 for like the past decade. I don't know how long <laughs> he had been at Oklahoma State, but it had been a while. And now he's number two. Their number three quarterback at Ole Miss is a guy more typical of Ole Miss's starting quarterback, right? Walker Howard. What Lane's done with the he's definitely pretty- He's definitely got the Ole Miss name. Walker Howard is his <laughs> Ole Miss as a name gets, right? Good yeah, Walker, yeah, Walker Howard, the, the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, other than that, now let me take my shot at Lane. Uh, you know, it's – I'm not sure – Lane can go to the portal and get Michael Trigg, you know, the tight end, the five-star, Simon Southern Cal. But I don't think Lane Kiffin can go to high schools and he's not going to put the work in that it takes to beat Alabama, uh, that it takes to beat LSU, uh, Tennessee, Georgia. I, I don't know that he's going to beat those programs and living rooms for high school kids or put in the work it takes to do that, frankly. But in the portal, he does, and he can, and he's built a roster that although he was, you know, poor-mouthing in that speech you were talking about, Travis – I mean, let's be honest, Uh, Alabama's favored to win the game. Alabama's got more good players than Ole Miss does on their 85-man roster. But, uh, you know, he's got a really good quarterback. Uh, He says, hey, we got one guy Alabama wanted. Well, we wanted his defensive tackle. He literally played for Alabama. That's another guy. Michael Trigg was a five-star tight end. All these uh, uh, wide receivers he's gotten out of the portal. Yeah, they they look pretty good at Alabama in the rotation like – Trey Harris, uh, I, I think Lane has made up for in the portal what he is either unable or just doesn't do in the high schools. But their roster is just fine. That's why Ole Miss is in the top 25 and less than a touchdown favorite at Bryant-Denny. How many, how many SEC schools in the past decade have been less than a touchdown favorite in, uh, in Bryant-Denny? Clint, we're going to let you get out of here. Before we do, though, like the rest of us in the picks that you posted at BamaOnline.com on Thursday, you like the Crimson Tide to win the game. You kind of alluded to it at the top of the program, though. Uh, maybe not the confidence uh, that, that you had a couple weeks ago. Definitely not. Uh, still need to see some stuff from them. I mean, in some ways, Ole Miss has some similarities to like a Texas just because they have a, a wide variety of playmakers on offense. Once they get everybody healthy, which could be this weekend, they do some things differently. They're going to live in 11 personnel, or at least they have up to this point, like 94% of their snaps have been out of 11 personnel. They're not going to do as much pre-snap motion. Uh, they're not going to do the screens. They more so live off of play action and, and vertical shots You know, with Jackson Dart. So if you're Alabama, you've got to be able to limit their vertical uh, or explosive downfield plays. And that, I guess that includes the run as well. Also need to try to make sure that they're one-dimensional. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins is a, a heck of a running back, um, but he's also not been overly effective this year. I don't think he's 100% right now, but he's been averaging 3.3 yards per carry. So I will say uh, there's going to be a lot that Alabama has to deal with. Those those perimeter corners, Kool-Aid and Tyrion Arnold, they're both playing good football. They're both going to be NFL highly drafted NFL talents. 
But Alabama's going to need them to come up big because not only does you know uh, Lane Kiffin like to take those vertical shots, he certainly prefers to target perimeter receivers versus slots and tight ends and things like that. So if Trey Harris is healthy, um, you know I think he's going to be a guy that they're going to try to get the football to. And, and in those perimeter corners, it's not just keeping them from catching it. It's also avoiding the pass interferences downfield. So I like Alabama to win, but it's going to be close. Uh, but boys, I appreciate y'all having me on. This has been fun. Looking forward to some more of these. Uh, and you know, Jimmy, don't say nothing bad about me when I get off here. <laughs> it would Glad be we appreciate time. it, my man. Have a great rest of your evening. Absolutely, fellas. Good talking to you guys. There he goes. Clint Lamb checking in with us on the debut edition of Thursday Night Tide. And then there were two, Jimmy Stein, yourself and me. Uh, let's talk about uh Clint Lamb talked about it there as he was going out and it took us like 38, 39 minutes to get around to Quinshawn Judkins, which a year ago would have taken us about three minutes because what a freshman season for an Alabama in-state guy, uh, 135 yards against Alabama in the game in Oxford last year. Uh, Clint talked about it. Sound like he got some ribs, uh, maybe beat up down in Tulane a couple of weeks ago. Hasn't been quite the same, but, as you said, Jackson Dart has been a real revelation in year two when a lot of people thought Spencer Sanders would waltz in there from Oklahoma State and take over that job. You know, I thought even last year, Jackson Dart had shown us some toughness, even in the game against Alabama that Ole Miss came up a little bit short. Um, he was a big reason why for me anyway, along with Judkins, that they were able to, to stay in that game. Really, some people would tell you should have won that game. They got Bryced, I think, in some ways. Jace was big in the second half too. Um, so, what? Where do you where do you start with this offense? We heard Clint talk about it as far as defending Ole Miss, uh, because Jackson Dart he can do it both with his arm and his legs. Uh, but there's no no mistaking it either. Whether it's Judkins or a guy like Ulysses Bentley, who we saw from Ole Miss last week, Lane wants to get those backs going too. Yeah, he runs the ball. I think they led the SEC in rushing a year ago, which is not something that you immediately attribute to Lane Kiffin. Uh, but, you know, Lane won an Alabama running back, a Heisman Trophy, and then he goes to Ole Miss, and he's got a freshman running back that leads the league in rushing, and, and his team leads the league in rushing. So Lane runs the ball. Uh, he, he's very creative. And, and what concerns me the most about Jackson Dart, Travis, is it's not just Jackson – it's Lane. I think when Lane has a really good quarterback, Lane is scary. And of course that makes Dart scary because he's the one that's going to be on the field. I think they're, they're as good a combination of uh, quarterback OC guy. And I know Charlie Weiss sort of supposedly runs the Ole Miss offense, but, but to me it's Lane and Jackson Dart. They make Ole Miss scary. They don't need anything else. And they do have other toys, like Judkins when he's healthy, and a pretty good wide receiver core with uh, Trey Harris when he's healthy, and Watkins is a good player, and Wade's a good player. They've actually got good depth at tight end. Uh, it's a scary offense, but it starts with Lane. Uh, look, I, I could I could do a, a whole two-hour show on what I love and do not love about Lane Kiffin. But I do have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a play caller and as an offensive designer. And I think he, he might work less than the other coaches in this league, but he doesn't need the time that the other coaches in the league 
need. He can show up on Saturday morning with, uh, with guys he feels good about, and he can just take out his pencil and, and a piece of paper and beat you. Uh, he, he, he's very, very good. I, I don't know that anybody in, in this league is as good as he is at that. And, and Jackson Dart is that, that joystick. You know, he's, he's got on the other end of the joystick. Jackson Dart does just as he wants. And uh, a talented kid. Uh, Quinn Ewers has been a problem for Alabama the last two years. In my mind, they're not too different. Uh, I, I think Jackson Dart might even be a more athletic uh, Quinn Ewers because he's got the legs too. And uh, I, I think this kid's a good a good passer, Travis. I, I think Jackson Dart's going to get a, a real good shot in the NFL. Yeah, SC doesn't sign many triple option quarterbacks, right? And that was Jackson Dart's initial stop yeah. in college football. Uh, and you think about the quarterbacks that went through that program and moved on. Um, whether it was Keaton Slovis or JT Daniels or Jackson. All right Dart. in a row. That All was right amazing, that run that went through L.A. Um, but I agree. And and you, you think about Jaden Daniels down the road, I think it's going to be a similar kind of challenge. Now, Daniels more dynamic with his legs. But Dart is a very willing and capable runner uh, that Lane will use in that way from time to time. So – we talked about this before the Texas game, the Sark script. Well, Alabama got through that in pretty good shape, actually. But unfortunately for Alabama, Sark had more than just an opening script. He basically had the Godfather one, two, and probably <laughs> thankfully for Texas, not three. So that's something you got to concern yourself with Lane. And, and more specifically, can Lane stay out of his own way? I think Sark showed you tremendous composure and poise and how he managed that offense, stayed patient. Uh, yeah, they had a few things special for Alabama, the double pass, uh, that they got a pass interference call off of. But as we know, Lane left to his own devices sometimes can also be Lane's worst enemy. Yeah, Lane wants it so bad. And I'm not talking about in general. I'm talking about beating Alabama. I mean, Lane, Lane wants this so badly that you can see him getting in his own way, maybe outthinking himself. Very bright guy, like I said, an offensive genius. And and I don't, I, I'm not the 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 type that would use that term very often, but I think he may be. I mean, in terms of how he can see things before they happen, in terms of how he doesn't need to put in his game plan starting on Sunday and work on it all the way up until Friday night at two in the morning. I think he. He starts thinking about it Saturday morning when the cartoons are over, and then he starts thinking about it, and then th and then in thirty minutes he he's he's outsmarted the other sideline. Uh, that that's how he is, and and I give him a ton of credit for that. Uh, but you know, one thing I've noticed this week about Alabama fans, Elaine, sort of acting like this is the first time that Alabama has faced a Lane Kiffin offense. You know, the last two years, uh, he hasn't scored a lot of points against Alabama the last two years. Uh, and that was when Pete Golding, his defensive coordinator, was the Alabama defensive coordinator who was always under fire from the fans. And uh, and, and Lane scored what, like 24 and 21 uh, against a Pete Golding-led Alabama defense? Look, I think in the end, you know, and we'll talk about at the end, you know, what our predictions are. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have a hard time believing – that Ole Miss is going to score more points against an Alabama defense this year than he did the last two years. Cause I think the Alabama defense has improved 
And uh, I think they did it very quietly in Tampa with all the uh, uh, outcry about what happened on offense and quarterback. I think almost in the shadows, the Alabama defense sort of turned a corner. They pitched a shutout in Tampa that no, no one noticed, despite South Florida having more possessions they should have had, uh, more time of possession they should have had. Uh, Alabama's defense still pitched a shutout down there. Lane hasn't exactly lit up the Alabama defense the last two years, so I actually feel pretty good about facing them, but I do give Lane a ton of credit. He's so good uh, on that side of the ball. Yeah, he is, and um, you know, we talked about the game two years ago. The Alabama offense obviously helped a lot, holding on the football 38, 39 minutes, uh, rushing for over 200 yards. Alabama in six of the last eight meetings with Ole Miss has rushed for two more than 200, didn't do it last year, barely went over 100 in that win in Oxford. So uh, I think some of this does go back to the Alabama offense as well. Speaking of which, Jonathan Hurst here on the program, okay. he says 12 and 13 personnel – and tell Ole Miss to stop it. Time for the O-line show and tell. Uh, I think Jonathan's ready to see if this offensive line can live up to the preseason expectations, and you combine that with the running back situation. Talked about this with Clint a little bit, too, earlier in the show. Uh, kind of my default for this game is that, yeah, we're going to see more 12 personnel because Alabama rode that pretty well in the second half. And with Roydell last week, but when we've seen Jalen in there, the explosive plays in the passing game, uh, there's been a good bit of those from 11. So how do you kind of see that playing out? It's a, a little bit of a game within the game um, and, and, and certainly could be big in how this thing uh, plays out on Saturday. Well, it's a mix and match, right? I mean, uh, it's both. I mean, Alabama's never going to uh, do it one way. And I think particularly with Jalen Milrow, I like 12 personnel with Jalen, but I, I fully agree, Travis, you, you're going to have to go uh, 11. Uh, I, I like, uh, you know, empty with Jalen. I, I like spreading it out because it gives Jalen Milrow more room to run. Uh, I like all the sorts of things you can do with the pass game that make it easier for Jalen to impact the game with his legs. I like all that. And, uh, and, and again, I like Jonathan's uh, uh, comment about 12 and 13, basically just meaning, hey, we're just going to line it up and beat you up. We're just going to beat you up uh, with our size and with extra tight ends because the tight end group is pretty good at Alabama. But in the end, this is what I like most about what, what Tommy Reese is working with this week, Travis, and that's, hey, look, you know, maybe Milrow's not ideal. Maybe this isn't this isn't Bryce, this isn't Mac, this isn't Tua, this isn't even Hurts. But, you know, I think if you ask most young offensive coordinators in the country, hey, we're going to give you a quarterback that's got two building blocks, okay, and this is what you're going to build it off. He runs a 4-4-40, and he's 220 pounds. That's building block number one. Building block number two, he throws a nice deep ball. So build it around that. I think most offensive coordinators in the country get excited about that. I don't think it's anything Alabama needs to be uh, worried about that it's not good enough. I, I think that most offensive coordinators would get excited about the fact they could try to build something around what he does really well. And that's what's on Tommy Reese. And as much as the 12 personnel and 13 personnel and, hey, let's just run the darn ball. I get that. And I'm excited about that, too. But you know what? I think Milrow's a little more versatile than just the guy 
that hands it off and runs the ball and runs the QB draw. Uh, I, I think he's got some arm talent that's going to back safeties off the line of scrimmage, at least eventually, and, and it starts this weekend. Yeah, I think, I think 13 completions of 15 yards or more in two starts tells you um, he's capable of making a lot of throws. And, um, you know, I, I think that the question has to be asked, too, because it, it has been a rough couple of weeks for Tommy Reese. But how many times have we heard Nick Saban say it's the Alabama offense? So I'm I'm not going to be naive enough to think that Nick Saban doesn't have approval over everything that is going into the plan on a weekly basis. I think we both know that's the case, even on the headsets in terms of maybe not specifics of play calls, but do we want to run here? Do we want to throw it here in certain situations? Obviously, fourth downs and things like that are a given, but um, there's a lot of variables that go into that. Uh, But I think it's safe to say also, you're not the offensive or defensive coordinator at Alabama until you lose a game. (laughs) And so we know that we know that from official standpoint, Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele are in those positions right now. William here on the uh, Thursday night tide program, as we check out with him, uh, we talked about the portal earlier, and this is more in relation to the the good of the game. Uh, and he asked, William does, do y'all think the transfer portal has kind of damaged college football in general? I, I think it's your perspective. If you're more into the pageantry and the traditional uh, perspective of what the game has meant to fans for so many generations now, I could certainly see that being the case. That being said, I, I think it's it comes down to whether or not you're benefiting or you're being damaged by it. And before all this, the, the, the narrative was that the rich are only going to get richer. And then I see Nick Saban this week answer a question about it, that it's actually brought more parity to the game uh, than previously imagined. Is, is that where you – that's kind of the way I see it because, again, I'm looking at an Ole Miss team – coming into Tuscaloosa on Saturday, if it was just on recruiting still like it was for years, I don't see Ole Miss having a shot in a game like this. But because of what Ole Miss has been able to do in the transfer portal, it has more, certainly more than a puncher's chance. Yeah, it's vast, right? I mean, there's so many issues. There's so much good and so much bad. I think in general, if you want to look at the high-profile cases – I mean, look at Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. I think he's helped himself in the draft. I think he's now a Notre Dame and a Wake Forest legend. I, th- I think you can look at individual JMO, you know, wasn't getting much of a chance in Chris Olave and Marvin Harrison world up there. And then and now he comes to Alabama, helped himself. Henry Toa did he help himself? I don't know. He probably, he might even been a higher draft pick out of Tennessee because he would have been such a bigger star of the show up there, uh, but playing with better players. I mean, you can look at each individual player that's gone through the portal and argue about, hey, this guy helped himself, this guy helped himself. I think in the larger, you know, the, the larger, you know, 30,000 foot eye, my concern, and boy, I'll sound like an, an angry old man shaking his fist at the clouds here, but, uh, you know, Travis, when, when you and I were, you know, going to, to, to school, you know, uh, back in the dinosaur age, uh, we would talk about things like graduation rates. There's a term I've not heard in a decade. 
But back in the 80s and 90s, we heard about that term all the time. I'm wondering how it is this helping kids in graduate when they change schools three times? Uh, and, and again, we're going to focus on Sam Hartman and, and, and Jamison Williams and Jackson Dart. But for every one of those, there's 20 kids that none of us, not even me and you, we're, we're college football obsessed nuts. For every Sam Hartman, there's 25 kids we've never heard of, me and you. And are they being helped by switching schools three times? Are they graduating? Because they're not going to play in the NFL. And, you know, you look at roster management, uh, a, a term I'm starting to use on the board all the time, Travis, because I want people getting used to this, because I think it's a reality at Alabama. I call it 30 in, 30 out. Basically, you're at 85 every year. You're not capped at how many you can bring in in one year. Right now, roster management at Alabama is 30 new players in, 30 out. That's, that's more than a third of your roster every single season. I just wonder, are all these kids going out? Are they graduating? Because most of the kids that go out of Alabama that aren't headed to the NFL and are headed to other schools, they're not going to play in the NFL. And so I, I just, as an old man, go, is this helping all these kids? I know it's helping Sam Hartman. I know it's helping Jamison Williams. It's probably helping Jackson Dart. But I yeah, just worry my, about all my, the kids that mean you can't name. And in and, and that same sort of uh, stance, I, with the player in mind, the student athlete in mind, as we like to call the, the young people, um, it's more so with the young folks who go in the portal and don't land anywhere. I mean, it's one thing to go in the portal from Alabama and then maybe like Stephon Wynn, who we talked about earlier, goes from Alabama, goes to Nebraska, now's at Ole Miss. At least he was able to make those jumps. At least he landed every time he made a move. There are a 1,000-plus kids now at least every year who go into the portal from FBS programs, and they don't land – they don't land anywhere. So they no longer have a, an education paid for. And I see this here with Stacy Blackwood and his comment, unintended consequences. Um, that's probably my biggest issue with the transfer portal, even more than the player movement. Because as long as you're winning games, the fan base is going to show up. Look at Florida after the win over Tennessee. Going into that Tennessee game, that fan base was – you know, about to collapse, whip Tennessee. Now you're selling out a game against what is it? Charlotte, I guess Saturday that Florida's playing sold out for Charlotte. When two weeks ago, you were wondering if you were going to sell out Tennessee. So it all goes back to W's. I think more often than not, as we wrap things up here on the initial edition of Thursday night tide, we talked about predictions for this old miss game. Uh, we got Clint's thoughts on that as he, um, moved his way along this evening. What do you think? Um, how does this thing play out Saturday afternoon, Jimmy? Yeah, I got Alabama 24-21. I think uh, defensively, there's a good team. I think holding Ole Miss to 21 uh, defensively is really good. Uh, this is a good Ole Miss offense, no doubt. It's, it's uh, it, you know, they can run it, they can throw it. Jackson Dart will be as good as any quarterback Alabama will face during this regular season. I really believe that him and Quinn Ewers, Jaden Daniels, all different. But I would kind of rate them all the same in terms of how good they are. I think holding them to 21 would be a big win 
for this Alabama defense, and then it's on Jalen Milrow in the offense. Can you find mid-20s? Can you find high-20s? If this gets into a track meet, I don't know that this Alabama offense is ready to win a track meet, but I think they can score in the mid-20s or the high-20s and uh, and beat this Ole Miss team behind the big play. won't be the long drives, but it'll be the big play. Milrow through the air, Milrow with his legs, maybe Jason Roydell with the legs. But I like Alabama winning 24-21, and I'm actually a little more optimistic than that score sounds. Yeah, I went 27-20 Alabama simply because I sort of have the same feeling going into this game that I had going into the Alabama-Texas game when I picked Alabama 27-20. And it's easy to understand why you would feel that way, again, based mostly on skill positions and skill personnel for Ole Miss. But I think one of the biggest differences is that Texas's front seven is legit, like high-level, borderline elite legit I don't see Ole Miss being in that same neighborhood really uh so to borrow from Dabo Sweeney bring your own guts Saturday afternoon how about that dialing up a little Dabo he's got a big one with Florida State coming up on Saturday but uh the lines of scrimmage for Alabama I mean put up or shut up time isn't it I mean for these front seven and the the offensive line um you know, those are areas where Ole Miss hasn't been able to make up ground via the transfer portal. So if you take care of business there, you should be able to take care of the Ole Miss Rebels on Saturday. Hey, uh, Jimmy, can't thank you enough for joining us. Clint as well. A lot of great stuff hanging out with us there at BamaOnline.com. You're going to want to do that. Um and check out all the great content. Charlie Potter with some really good stuff this week in relation to Alabama's offensive line struggles uh, and a big recruiting weekend coming up too. So between site publisher Tim Watts, Andrew Bone, Joseph Hastings, they're going to take care of you on that front as well. Jimmy, look forward to doing this again soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, And now, hey, look at all these SEC games, seven in a row. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a big slate coming up, no doubt about it. And we look forward to covering it all with you right there at BamaOnline.com. Thanks to everyone who tuned in tonight. We look to make this a regular feature, so spread the word. We're going to continue to do so, and I look forward to you joining us again real soon. For Jimmy Stein, Clint Lamb, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us right here on Thursday Night Tide. Until next week, so long, everybody. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.